Hello again. I'm Steve Longo, and I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Rock and Roll Show and Tell, coming to you from the No Gloom Ballroom. This week on Rock and Roll Show and Tell, my old friend Michael Bradford, bass player, guitar player, keyboard player, musical director, played with some people you might have heard of, like Anita Baker, Paul Buckmaster, The New Radicals, Madonna, Uncle Cracker, Beth Hart, Deep Purple Dave Stewart, and the kid from Detroit known as Kid Rock. That's right, Michael played on Ball with the Ball. Heavy stuff. So sit back and relax, and we'll be with Michael after a few words from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Jason's Deli. With four convenient locations from Naples to Cape Coral, Florida, they are a must-try. Jason's Deli, where all good things come from wholesome ingredients. And Bradley's Jewelers of South Fort Myers. They specialize in amazing moments. Bradley's Jewelers. Stop by and say hello to Brad and Colby. But right now it's time to sit and have a little chat with Michael Bradford. Michael, here we go. Oh, good, man. Uh, that song, I gotta jump right in. That song just, it, it rocks, it so, rocks so hard. I remember it, was that the summer that it came out in 99? No, it actually came out probably a year before. Um, and it's a funny thing, that record, it's, it's 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 one of those situations where a record took a while for it to really catch on because what what's amazing is that at the time when we made that stuff the big stuff on the radio was the Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Britney Spears. Uh-huh. So so it was like a sea change when we came along, you know. And that was a major that was a major that was a major so yeah, when it first came out it was like radio stations were like we're not sure about this and record stores were even like, I don't know about this. But the kids were like, this is awesome. They were digging it. But the people, the gatekeepers, so to speak, you know, the people who decide if it even gets heard or not, yeah. um, were, were, were very um, resistant because it, was not, it wasn't what they were used to getting, you know. It was, I tell you what, it, it's so cool to look back. What is it, 22, 23 years? And yeah. Uh, that was probably the last hip thing that came out of the 20th century. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, it was, it was, that was big. I mean, and the thing about it was Kid Rock was like, how do you get next to this? You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're mainstream, somebody, anybody, what, where did this come from? It's like, there's it was amazing place. to me. Yeah, there's only one place it could have come from, and that's Detroit. And I'll tell you yeah. why. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you why. Because, you know, the, the record business, especially back then, was so much focused on New York and Los Angeles, at least in the United States. And so in those big cities, the record industry people are there, and they've got rules. And they've got, like, this is what's going to work. This isn't what's going to work. Hey, why don't you change your hair? And Maybe that drummer isn't tall enough and that guitar player, maybe, maybe you know, they, they try to cast it like a movie. And with Kid Rock, with Twisted Brown Trucker, you know, it was like the land of the misfit toys. You know, it was like we have, we got Josie, the little guy, the rat, and we got Stephanie playing the drums. And then you got me. Everybody thought I was Kid Rock's bodyguard. They didn't realize I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we had Uncle Cracker, who looked like a gas station attendant. 
because yeah. he used to work at a gas station. So, you know, so, you know, it was like a bunch of guys who, if it was LA, they would have, they would, we would have never gotten a gig because it was like, we were too not looking like what Hollywood thought of as a band. You know, we didn't have that, but that's where the bands come from that last, like, you know, um, any of the bands that have really stood that even guns and roses, right. I mean, they're considered a, an LA band, but you know, Axel's what from Indiana, all those guys came from someplace else. And so it's like, you, you gotta, you gotta kind of come from someplace where there's nobody telling you the rules yeah. and then you can make a brand new thing. Otherwise you're sounding just like the band that came out last week, you know? Well, well, where did you, did you break? Where did it, where was the first, uh, area uh, where we where did it break did it break in detroit it broke in detroit but what we did with the trucker band was um detroit then detroit and chicago then detroit chicago and cleveland so it's like i always i, I tell bands this 20 years later that are starting out you know especially if i'm producing them or something i said you need to find a home base and make that a little bit bigger and then a little bit bigger and don't try to go everywhere at once. You'll go broke and don't stay in one place forever because they'll get tired of you. So, you know, okay, now we're in here. And they, the circle just got bigger and bigger until finally um, um, when a record company finally, a serious record company finally came to hear it, he had a really good, a good regional following. A lot, a lot like Bob Seger, you know, a generation before, you know, Seger was big, hometown Detroit. He was huge in Detroit and, and in the Midwest and eventually he'd go on these tours opening for other bands and he'd just blow people off the stage because he was such a good showman and by then the band had such great experience yeah but it started from there but i tell you what night moves came on and then suddenly it just blew it up but what blew up was awareness of this great thing that was already happening and with kid rock it was the same thing he had already built it up to this point where once word got out it could explode but you can't do that overnight. That's all those overnight sensations usually were 10 years of hard work being small, you know? I know, I know a little bit about that, I think. Uh, but, but let me ask you this. I mean, just out of, just purely out of curiosity, yeah. um, how did the, I mean, you did, was everybody that's in the mix, Uncle Cracker and Josie and Stephanie and you, was that all in from the beginning or was it, you know, how did it start? Well, with Kid Rock, what happened is really it started out with Kid Rock and Uncle Cracker, with, with him and Matt. You know, Cracker's real name is Matt, Matt Schaefer. So, mm -hmm. Bob and Kid Rock's name is Bob. So, um, Bob and Matt were friends since they were kids. And they lived in the suburbs, but they had this love of, you know, when Run DMC and when Grandmaster Flash before that, when all the rappers came out, they were the two guys from the suburbs who would like to hear rap music. But at the same time, they were always listening to Hank Williams and Hank Jr. and and uh, all the country stuff. And you know, when you're from Detroit, all your relatives are from are pretty much from the South because they all moved up to work in the factories. You know, even Johnny Cash worked in a factory in Detroit. You know, so um, we have Southern roots, even though we're Northerners. And so, in a lot of the the suburbs, the little towns, not really suburbs, but towns outside of Detroit have a lot of well you know um southern people living in them and like there's a town called ipsilani that has a big ford factory and they call it ipsitucky because there's so many people there who have who moved there from the south you know so uh, there's this combination of whatever's on pop radio the classic rock stuff like zeppelin and all that and then old uh, kicking old school country music 
And in that part of the country, that's normal to listen to all of those things for kids. Um, and so, like I said, to us, it all made sense. But in the beginning, it was it was Bob and Matt and their love of, of both kinds, all kinds of music and their interest, which would take them into the city of Detroit, which is where I'm from, to hear rap groups and to hear uh, R&B groups and, and, and everything else on top of the country and rock and other stuff that that they always had access to. Yeah, that, I mean, that just must have been... Yeah, but that yeah. song was a whole different... Yeah, that, that, that really band. was. That was that was a game changer, that it track. It was a game changer, for sure. But listen to... When you listen to it, it's everything I just said. It's metal. It's Led Zeppelin. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's rap. It's got the kind of hip-hop drum machine kind of beat along with the rock and roll beat. And even that, that's a country. I mean, it's everything that, it's just an amalgamation of the stuff they, they already liked, you know, just yeah, put the, together uh, in a real clever way. That it, believe, yeah. As clever as it gets, that little half step, you know, thing in the riff, it's just, I yeah. don't know, it's so nice. And and the rhythm section is, it's just, it's a great, that's a great moment in time. Yeah. Musically, yeah. you know, it's like the, I, I hate to compare it to the first time I heard Cher use auto-tune, but you, you can, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. right? I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> Do you believe that yeah. life after love? Yeah, right, yeah, believe. Um, and Stephanie, man, I mean, what a powerhouse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But you said she was from Cleveland. Is that right? Yeah, she's from Cleveland, which is not that far from Detroit. You can drive there uh, in an afternoon, and she's an incredible drummer. But like, like she's a she's the secret weapon because she's also an incredible singer. You know, she can sing like she can sing like a soul diva if you want her to. And wow. she's a great harmony singer, and she, she she's a great lead singer. You know, and um, um, that one song that we used to do, "Wasting Time" with the Fleetwood Mac sample, she would do this whole singing part in the middle of it and at the end of it and the crowd would go crazy she's a great singer and no one sees it coming because they you know she's back there beating the, the heck out of the drums and suddenly she starts yeah. singing it's the same thing with cracker no one thought he was going to sing and then then he starts singing and it's like what's going on here you know and then and that was the other thing about the band it was kind of like watching the circus it's like what are these guys going to do next and now there's fire coming out of the place and now kid rock's playing the drums and and it's like everybody's running all over the place, you know? So there's a lot of talent in the band. A lot of energy and a lot of, you know, I mean, that, that was awesome. And, yeah, I mean, it really wasn't. And believe me, I'm no stranger to strippers uh, on, on the tour bus or... <laughs> We had strippers get on the bus in Austin and get off the bus in Houston, but, um, but I, I were those... Uh, were they touring <laughs> performers, <laughs> or were they, you know, was it like uh, local local crew? <laughs> you know, the one thing you'll find out if you live long enough is that every town has its own unique strippers. And so, what yeah. happened? That we didn't, we would never have traveled with with dancers. Um, what what would happen is it's just easy enough for a promoter to say we need six girls to wear bikinis and high heels and and dance on the stage. And and people are always down for a little, um, you know, exhibitionism, you know, and, uh, you know what, I bet some of those girls, I bet some of those girls weren't strippers. I bet some of them were just people who wanted to be on stage, you know, and, uh, and, um, uh, but some of them probably were, you know, but, you know, it's just, it, but we wouldn't, we didn't have to, 
I'll have road cases for them and and, and ship them from city to city. And they sure it sure wouldn't have been very cool to have them on a bus with a band because you know that that sooner or later stuff like that turns into relationships and it's somebody's girlfriend and then it's a then there's a lawsuit and you know, then there's guns coming out and you know. Yeah. You were on that tour too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't see Joe C on stage. Yeah, I didn't yet. see Joe C in Germany. Was he there? Yeah, I mean, probably he was just on the other end of the stage doing his thing. You know, the thing about Joe was that he was always wandering around, and he was like a uh, he would just sort of wander to one end or the other, and and he was kind of half in the zone and half zoned out, if you know what I mean. And he, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> so he was just, he was just this chill energy wandering around. But I have, I do remember times when I had to sort of grab him by the, like his hoodie and pull him back just in time because we had fire. I mean, that show was outdoors, but we had a lot of pyro, you know, it's like almost like, it's almost like a, I don't know, a lot of bands use it now, but there was fire coming out of everything. And so <clears throat> every now and then I'd have to grab them and like, because I knew the cues because I was the band leader, you know? And so I had to know this is when it's going to happen. And Joe would be sort of just, well, hey, man, what's going on? Like, Whoa. <laughs> you know, so you have to keep an eye on him. You've got to know where the pots are because, yeah, yeah I believe me, I had, uh, you know, when we were kids and pyro first started to happen, we yeah. knew that guy that said oh i can do pyro and i had a gong behind you know i had a gong mm -hmm. with a big a rail uh gong stand and he said oh yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll put a, a flash all the way across the top of the gong stand right and i said oh okay <laughs> and i don't know what i, I mean i'm a kid i'm in my teens and yeah. i have no idea what's going to happen and he makes the now this is this is not like registered pyro this kid's molding uh tin foil which the minute this, the minute this thing went off it was like molten lead flying right. on the, that was insane so i understand the value of uh well-placed pyro, pyro and professional pyrotechnicians because yes, i tell you yes, what yeah you can get in trouble yeah. real fast with that stuff and um and that's why they every day the fire marshal comes and they you have to show them the pyro and do a test burn of some of the effects so that they see what they're doing and and they have to approve it every day they have to approve the show and if they don't you can't do it and um and uh, it's but it's good because uh, you know i mean especially nowadays you're using tanks and tanks of propane so when you want to see those flames go up 100 feet that's a lot of gas and that's a lot of heat and you feel that heat coming up and and uh you know it's a there's a lot of potential it's dangerous you know, I mean, what people in the audience don't realize a lot of the time, and and they have no way to know. So it's not like I'm acting like uh, Mr. Insider. It's just that to put on a rock and roll show is a very, it's a very dangerous thing. You know, the scaffolding, the staging, all that stuff is bolted together every day. You know, it's got to be put together right. One wrong thing, and, you know, a lot of people can get hurt. And then the pyro on top of that. And then there's a lot of, by the way, did I mention electricity? Yeah, there's a lot of that. <laughs> so. it's, it's funny because, I mean, I like I said, I'm certainly no stranger to any of that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I did the, uh, a couple of uh, recordings with the guys from ACDC. Mm -hmm. And when I was in New York, went to see their show. And uh, Pyro, yeah. They had cancer. Yeah, they, and, you yeah. know, the 
cannons and the whole pitch. It's nuts. But, yeah. you know, that's showbiz, right? I mean, and then there's these other things that go under the stage that make the whole stadium, the whole arena shake. The, the, they're called con- concussions. And when, so you'll, a lot of the fire effects, like the explosion looking things, when they go off, they really just sound like, but what also is happening at the same time is the concussions are going off under the stage. And that's what shakes the place. And I remember one time we were doing a show and a kid jumped over, you know how they always had the barriers and the security guards. And this kid jumped over somehow and they're trying to catch this guy. He's like a little mosquito. They couldn't get their hands on him. And somehow he, somehow he dives under the stage. Uh-oh. And right then is when one of the bo- the booms went off. Oh. And he came out like, he, you know. <laughs> it's like one of those slot movies when they have the flashbangs and then they're going to go in and get the bad guy. He came out completely dazed. I mean, I, wonder, I hope he didn't lose his hearing because that was... Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's a testament to to the power of low end, man. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, that's when yeah. I talk about you know that's how Pete got the ring. Pete Townsend got the ring in his ears from uh, from Keith Moon having the bass drum overloaded with pyro on that. uh, Yeah, and not not telling him. He didn't tell him, man. I mean, yeah, if only he had a little warning, he could have moved him. <laughs> and you can see uh, his hair is like just, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, and they yeah. played it off great. But yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's yeah. nuts. And that's going back to, what is that, the early 70s, late 60s? Yeah. 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 Well, that's why nowadays they've got so many regulations and, and stuff. But hey, man, whatever it takes to put on a killer show and, uh, that's what got me into it. You know, when I was a kid, I was looking at, you know, they didn't have videos back then, but every now and then you'd see a band on like Don Kirshner's rock concert or, yeah, or Midnight cool. Special or yeah. one of those old classic shows. And, and you'd go, wow, look at that stuff and look at those amps. And that's just so cool. You know, what did it for me was it was, oh God, uh, T-Rex. Oh, and they had an album coming out called The Slider. And uh, there was a 15, I found a commercial on YouTube. It's a 15 second commercial. That's how short commercials were back then sometimes because commercials cost a lot of money per minute, right? It was just 15 seconds, but it had so many images and the lights flashing and, the, and it was over. And I was like, I want to do that. Commercial <laughs> for his album? Yeah, for his album. Yeah, for wow. the slider. Wow. Wow. And I, and I thought, I want to do that. And I was just a little kid with a, a, I don't think I even had, I don't even know if I had a guitar yet. I probably had, I had probably had my first one, but I saw that and I said, that's what I want to be, you know? Um, wow. Yeah, that was it. It burned, it burned in my brain and I've been chasing after rock and roll ever since, you know, and, and that it really has, but that it's amazing what a little inspiration does, you know, to get you started. Well, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I have never done anything else. Uh, yeah. Thank you, God. You know, I'm pretty, pretty, uh, feeling pretty good about that. But, um, and the truth is, I did what I did, you know, what I did in my way. The, I was in the same band for 25 years. A couple of guys changed here and there, but basically it was the same core and the language that you develop, that unspoken language, especially in a rhythm section. Right. Uh, you know, um, it's, 
that's invaluable and you know there's no substitute for that and i think that's why that the whole kid rock thing just to come full circle of that because mm -hmm. there's such chemistry in there and it it kind of melded together yeah. it was yeah. Awesome. Just awesome sound. So well, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, you got a bunch of guys who known each other for a long time, and and I was really one of the newest guys before that all blew up. I mean, Joe and, and Stephanie and and Kenny and 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 Steve Krause and and Bob and Matt, they had various iterations of the the Twisted Brown Trucker band before I came along, <clears throat> and then. Um, he finally got his real big record deal. And then what they really wanted from me at the time was to help sort of produce and put together tracks and stuff. And then, then this, these little tours started up opening for other bands, like, like Limp Bizkit and stuff like that. And it just happened to be when devil without a cause came out, we had the album had been put together already, but then we started going on the road with these things. And the idea was to build a little recording studio on the bus so we could spend time making new tracks instead of goofing around and, 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 and wasting time every day. And uh, that's when we made Uncle Cracker's first album, Double Wide, which was great because I wrote some of the songs and I produced it and with Bob and that became a huge hit too. But we were doing that. And that was really why I came along was to help, to help re record music and make tracks and and then also play bass at night. But um, the band was already thoroughly, was already really intact by then. But then things started to really roll. And then you know, the Limp Bizkit tour did good and other tours did good. But then, you know, uh, he got nominated for um, um, uh, what you, um, a Grammy for Best New Artist. And that was a real trip because um, that was, again, Britney was back there, Backstreet, Jennifer Lopez, those were the people who were hanging around and we were backstage and everybody thought we must've been the roadies or something. For somebody. <laughs> they didn't think that we, they, we could possibly, I mean, I remember Sync. those guys look like they were in the ice capades. They all had the, 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 you know, I'm talking about the outfits that were all shiny and had the, and I thought it was like, they're going to go skating out, you know, and, and they're not, I'm sure that they're nice guys. I met them, but it was a whole different show business at the time, you know? Yeah. And uh, then here we come. And I remember we played this, we, we did ball at the bar and, uh, a little bit of Only God Knows Why, and we go, we go off stage, and Rosie O'Donnell was the host of the Grammys that year. And we leave the stage, and she goes, what was that? <laughs> that was great. That was rock and roll. Yeah. That's what that was. That's what that was. Oh, that's bad. Man, that's great. I mean, that yeah. is just... What a way. But to cap the story, the winner of Best New Artist that year was Christina Aguilera. So... Yeah. <laughs> So pop music was still in control, you know. Yeah. But then other bands came along that were using a similar, you know, kind of vibe as us, and and uh, record, you know, radio stations were opening up to the to all that, and then eventually new metal came along, and 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 all these other things started happening, you know. But somebody's got to kind of go through the 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 hinterlands first and take the the bullets and the arrows, you know. Well, for yeah, but I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta shout out for Christina because, man, that's a little, that's a, that's a step beyond just pop. That's like that's a super. Voice. Yeah, <laughs> I, she, she changed the whole game. I mean, people. Oh, she absolutely. Uh, she absolutely did. I'm, 
my only point was that even though we did all that, the yeah. the, the best new artist was still a pop singer. You know, yeah. it wasn't like we, we didn't change the universe. You know, right? No, well, yeah. it would have been a travesty had it been a different pop singer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, well, okay, or right. yeah, stage. yeah, or yeah, I mean, but that year, you know, Macy Gray was up for Best New Artist that year, and so was um, Suzanne Tedeschi, you know, there were some serious artists up for that, for Best New Artist that year, you know, um, and, you know, Christina, you know, she's had a long career, and she's proven her, herself, but at the time, she was really an unknown, um, uh, a brand new thing, and, and people kind of gasped, even when her name was announced, because it was a surprise. But it wasn't a surprise to us because it was like, it's such a, it was a really good record she made. She was a really great singer and it was really what was popular on mainstream radio, you know? And for all that we did with Devil Without a Cause and all that, it was still a niche, you know? I mean, it was a niche that eventually sold 10 million records, but it was a niche. It wasn't ever going to be, um, it's like a lot of bands, you know, Metallica until the Black Album came out they were selling out arenas all over the place, but they were still like, you had to be a Metallica fan. It wasn't okay. like they were everywhere. You know? It wasn't mainstream. So, yeah, yeah, in the social consciousness, so to speak. You know? Yeah, and then Enter Sandman, I think, uh, crossed yeah. over, and that's, yeah. yeah. But again, I like the same things about that track that I, I like about A Ball with a Ball. It's mm -hmm. just the power in it. And you know when you go into a new studio and you're listening to new monitors, you have your CD or your drive that you bring with you to hear yeah. different things those those songs are always in my you know in my listening rotation just so that i can you know keep my head on straight yeah um so let me ask you this because uh, i was wondering this being a drummer and and checking out the stage um with kid rock you were stage left yeah and with dave stewart or we'll segue to next your stage right yes is that why? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you watch the show long enough, I don't stay anywhere that long. So, uh, but it was really, I think for, 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 for Bob, that's where the bass always was. Cause remember I was not the original bass player. Right. Gotcha. And so that was where the bass goes, you know? Um, but also it was easy for me to uh, make eye contact with Stephanie because she was to my right, you know, that way. And Cracker was sort of behind me and slightly to my left. So, and he was, he, in addition to DJing and rapping, he also had like his own little beatbox that he'd have to push buttons on and make them go and everything had to be in sync. So the three of us were sort of this visual uh, group of triangle of communication all night long, you know, while the other guys were, you know, being at, you know, the flying Melendez all over the place, you know. But uh, I, I tend to be on stage right i mean stage yeah stage right audience left because the other logistics of being on stage i can still see the drummer from that side but there's so many other things as the music director band leader i have to see and also usually on most situations the singer comes off comes up on stage on stage right um so i have to see them too because I'm the first one that sees them coming and then I can do my little thing. So let other, okay, here we go. They're coming or this is when we do this. And then the lighting guy is looking and there's a lot of communication going on. And that's also why I always wear sunglasses on stage because 
no one can see my eyes, but they're really kind of going. <laughs> I'm looking all over the place, you know. And yeah, also the lights, I, they're just so I bright. I totally get that. All right, so, but as a bass player, forget about, you know, MD and forget about all that. As a bass player, where do you like the drums when you're playing? To your left or to your right? There's, you know... It doesn't matter that much to me because it's all coming out of speakers anyway, you know, and it's all coming out of monitors anyway. I mean, uh, I, I tend to favor being on stage right in, in my, if I, if I'm naturally setting up, that's where I always am. Um, but, um, if the show requires it, it doesn't really matter to me, but I always end up on stage. When I was with Richie Sambora, stage right, no matter who it is, it's usually stage right. Kid Rock was a unique situation because of the that's the way it always was and also jimmy bones the keyboard player he was stage right and he had a huge setup well, with all his keyboards and piano and so that took up some space you know so it was easier to be on the other side but like i said i'm all over the stage i'm on this end i'm on that end i'm at the front I'm, i run all over the place so it doesn't really matter but with monitors and speakers you yeah. can hear it no matter where you're standing you know and do you um well, are you still playing through a rig, or are you going direct? Uh, you know, how's what's going? What's it these days? Oh, for me, I always play through amps. I will never go through. I mean, that, the only time I've ever gone direct is on television, and that's only because they want a direct feed because they're afraid of something going wrong with an amp. Right. But even then, there's an amp on stage. I use um, Ampeg amps, and they're great big old fashioned, you know, rocking Amps, yeah. I have a SVT and I have a V4B, which is 100 watts. Uh, the SVT is 300. The V4B has 812s and the SVT has 810s. And the V4B is more like a, a very expensive fuzz box. I only use that when I need extra distortion in the bass, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, and the SVT is just for that shake the room kind of thing. And then I use regular old fashioned stage monitors, wedges. You know, they try to get me to use those uh, in ear monitors and. <clears throat> I don't like them. Um, I'm too old to, to change now. So even when the band is all on ears, I'll be there with a couple of wedges in front of me. You know? Really? Like, John didn't yeah. like them. Yeah, John, yeah. Ed Whistle didn't like ears. He had them, but he didn't like them. No. Um, in fact, so much so that when, every time he would get a pair, he would just cut the, the left one off completely <laughs> and just yeah. cut the one. Because, you, know, well, you know, you know how it is. Any musician knows that when you've been playing long enough, you really judge your volume by the volume relative to everyone else. And you also judge how the room sounds by the way the echo is bouncing off the wall of the room back to you. You get a feeling for the space of the room. You can't get any of that if, you've, if you're in, in ears. And I know why they like ears, because engine, sound engineers like them, because they feel that you can make the stage less loud and, and uh, they can get more control over the sound in the front of in the in the in the in the front of house it makes their job easier but it doesn't make mine any better and you know if, if someone's got to win it's got to be the guy on stage you know in my opinion but uh, agreed uh, you know yeah. there, there's no show without the guy on stage yeah. Turn but i do but i do know why and i know singers like in ears because they can hear their voice consistently all the time and they they don't have to worry but i think sometimes singers i've noticed when they have in-ear monitors if they're turned up too loud, they sing quieter because they don't have to push because they can hear themselves just fine. So it literally changes the way they sing. They're not trying to get above the volume of the band anymore, which is probably saving their voice, but it also takes away that extra little passion that you get when you're trying to be another instrument, you know? So, but yeah. 
I mean, that was always the battle, you know, within the bands in the old days before even monitors in the in the sixties. Yeah. Uh, you know, they finally, uh, finally, they sorted out monitors. And the truth for me was, um, I was a singing drummer inside of a massive kit. I mean, that went almost all the way around me. Yeah. And I started using headphones with, mm -hmm. a, with a SM10 mm -hmm. into the side. I had a kill switch, and I had, and and it was glorious. I had stereo. Uh, when I was out of it, I had a monitor and I could hear the band. But they weren't. It wasn't like in ears because it was. It, they were seven twenty seven Bs, but mm -hmm. it, I could hear. You know what right. I mean? I could feel the stage, and it was. Uh, it was good. It saved my ears too from a lot of cymbals and. Yeah, and your yeah, yeah. I mean, the earphones are great for saving your ears from the cymbals and the crashing and the noise that's being generated but also you know like i said if you have to sing and you have to sing in tune and you're singing in harmony it's good to be able to hear yourself you know and and it's hard to do that when there's a bunch of cacophony going on created by the drummer you know right, exactly. <laughs> so but i mean i can i sing all the time too and i'm just so used to it like i said i've been I'm, i've been doing this my whole life i'm just so used to that way i can even feel the vibration in my throat if i'm in tune or i can feel the pitch i'm in you know but i'm um i'm just but that's just so it would be hard for me it would be hard for me to change but i understand why people do it i mean i've seen some bands where it's like on stage if you what if you actually walk on the stage while they're playing all you'd hear is the drums and yeah. they'd be like click click and everything else is in earphones and you can't hear any of it you know but but in the audience Right. It's coming out of the out of the speakers, you know. Yeah, but I mean, I I I played it in that in the band where the guitar player was so loud they used to have to take him out of the system. Yeah, just he was. I mean, you know, he was cranking uh, two stacks of four by twelve high watts, you know, yeah. and making the tubes close. But yeah, we got Pete Townsend to thank for that too. Yeah, we sure. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. By the way, uh, his number one remedy for tinnitus is uh, ginkgo. If you can really? remember. <laughs> you don't remember? Uh -uh. <laughs> yeah, I'd see that. Whatever. Listen, I'd see that. And that really did happen from that that Smothers Brothers thing. Oh yeah, I remember seeing the video of that, and it's like yeah. it, it's you know well. When you're young and you're crazy, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> when you're young and they're crazy, yeah. <laughs> they're crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I have another clip, wow. and I tell you what, I did. I, this is funny. You know, I don't. Whoops, I'm dropping things. I don't. Uh, I'm certainly not a pirate, and I'm not, you know, playing anything that I'm not supposed to play. But I get like flagged by Facebook if I play official videos even if Billy Joel sent me his video and I played it I'd have to go through you know some pledge of allegiance or whatever you know you know yeah. Yeah. Stop the show. so what I did uh, unprecedented and if you're listening to me out there this is unprecedented I took the two clips of yours that I'm going to play, that I played, one, the Ball with the Ball from Germany, and this one, which is kind of a compilation of a bunch of things uh, with Dave Stewart. And I actually went, uh, I, I don't want to want to piss anybody off. I also don't want my show interrupted. So I went and I did a live broadcast of just those two clips mm -hmm. to see if I'd get uh, your copyright infringement, and I didn't. Yeah. You, got, you tested it. Excellent. 
I just, you know, it's my way. I just thought, you know, I don't, man, I'll tell you what, the most awkward thing in the world was when we were trying to do your show the last time and everything was working except the connection to Facebook. But, you know, I've always had it in for me. They're they're, they're always out to get me. (laughs) I think they're chasing us both now, man. <laughs> um, so, uh, Dave Stewart, you know what? I'm going to play this clip. We can take a quick uh, two minutes, three minutes, and uh, we can discuss. Because, uh, oh, what was the gig before Kid Rock? For me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, my God. How far back do you want to go? Um, uh, the one that was right, what were you doing right when you made that? I, I want to go all the way back, but you know. Well, probably the last, the, what I was doing just before Kid Rock was I was in the studio working with Madonna um, uh, on her uh, album called Ray of Light. I was doing like electronic drums. And as you can see, I got a lot of keyboards and electronic stuff too. So that's just another hat. And then also I was working a lot with um, Detroit's uh, Anita Baker, great soul R&B singer, soul singer, one of the legends of soul music, you know. Um, so that's what I was doing. Wow, and one more, uh, cause all this stuff kind of runs together. Um, uh, a, a long, of like a year of leading up to kid rock was with, uh, Terrence Trent Darby. Who oh, was, wow. He was great. Yeah. We were making an album in Pasadena for literally a year. Wow. Such another, such another chapter back then, man. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. At surprise! Yeah. All right, we'll <laughs> oh goodness, man! That was. Oh uh, yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's a different chair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that I mean, I know him as a. Uh, a terribly creative guy. What was that? How did that even happen? Um, years oh. ago, years ago, I met him because he needed, um, he was putting together a tour where he was going to do like a retrospective of his greatest hits, songs he did with rhythmics, of course, but also songs he had written for like No Doubt and Mick Jagger and and Brian Ferry and I mean a lot of people don't realize what a songwriter Dave is and how successful he's been writing for other people I mean because you really make sold like what 80 90 million records on their own so that's enough but he also wrote you know um Old Habits Die Hard with Mick Jagger and that got him a um and a, uh, what is that a whatever award you get for movies uh for, for that movie Alfie that the dude law was in and he wrote um underneath it all with no doubt and he i mean he he's written a lot of hits so he wanted to do this show that covered all of that and um and he wanted to do it with a 35 piece orchestra so he needed someone who could be the band leader but could also write orchestra arrangements that would embellish the music and there's not a lot of people um that do both you know some people are great orchestra guys but they're not rock and roll people and there's a lot of great rock and roll guys but they they can't even read sheet music let alone write so i do both and um i was fortunately um i got trained um personally by paul buckmaster who wrote all the arrangements for elton john and and people like that so and he also wrote the score to the movie 12 monkeys and so I was working in his studio in LA when I first moved there as 
his studio engineer and also the synthesizer guy and the programming guy. And so Paul took me under his wing and taught me how to do arranging. You know, I always could hear it in my head, but there's a language to it like anything else. And he taught me um, in spare time. And I sort of picked it up as I went along. So by the time years later that I met Dave, he needed someone who could do those things. And there I was. And uh, so, you know, that's how we started working together. And we've been working together now for, oh, my Lord, um, about seven, 16, 17 years. You know? Wow. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, like I said before, that kind of, the kind of chemistry that you have with somebody like that after, you know, decade plus. Yeah decades that there's nothing replaces that and especially a guy i mean i don't i don't know him i've never worked with him but i know obviously his work and um you know uh the the type of personality and drive and gifts that you have to wrap up in order to be that guy it, oh, yeah. that's been fun man it must be fun it's fun we still work together all the time i mean i was literally on the phone with him today uh he lives in the bahamas now but he also has you know, a place in Nashville, and and so he's like a global citizen. So we were always meeting up somewhere. You know, I'll meet me in Harbor Island. Okay, now meet me in London, or we're gonna meet up in Nashville. And so we're always working on something. And he's producing other artists. He's doing his own tours. He's he's even writing musicals now. They made a musical version of the movie Ghost a couple of years ago, and he wrote the music for that. And and now there's a there, now they um there's a movie that was called The Time Traveler's Wife that um, he's there's a musical of that being developed with him and josh stone writing the music and i was just in that i'm helping them record the some of the songs they're writing and so dave is constantly and then he's making his own solo albums and like that very first track you played was from an album called um the blackbird diaries that i produced with him um a few a few years back in nashville and uh so he's doing he's a non-stop guy you know some people are successful um, and I'm, it's not, it's not even, it's not even, uh, sour grapes to say they got lucky because some people really did. And there's nothing wrong with luck, by the way, ask any lottery winner, but there <laughs> is something also to be said for being just a hardest working guy. And Dave is a hardworking guy. He doesn't stop. He gets up, he's got an agenda. He's got a plan. He's got a list of stuff to do. He checks it off. He, he's a really organized, you know, um, working guy, you know, he's not whatever happens, man, whichever way the wind blows, you know, he's, he's a really seriously, um, he's focused. I wish I had that kind of focus. Sometimes, you know, sometimes, uh, it, it, if the, if the gift of the person lines up with the personality, whether you're a type A, you know, OC, let's go do it all now and then do some more later while we're doing this underneath doing that, yeah. um, then it's a blessing. But if you're trapped in that, you know what I mean? And and somebody else, that's somebody else's agenda, that's, that can make a whole thing a nightmare. That's when sometimes you need to be that other guy. But, oh, yeah. you know, but that's why there's only uh, one Wow, there's only one Dave Stewart. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he knows what he wants to do. He has a team, and you know whether it's the person who arranges travel or the person who gets stuff shipped from point A to point B, or uh, someone like me who's there to make sure it sounds good when it's time to record it, and I play on it, and I, I you know, I'm in his, you know, I'm sort of his, I, you know, sounding board, you know, and when we're on tour. 
he doesn't have to worry when he gets on stage because that's my job to make sure the band is working and sounding good. And, and then he's ready to do what's next. But even when he's on tour, he's already talking about a movie or a book or a, another thing. You know, he's, he's got a lot to do and um, he's got a lot on his mind and it's just great that he's able to keep all those balls juggling in the air. You know, like, yeah, I would think he has to, yeah. I, w- I would think that it would wreak havoc on him if he didn't have those, you know, those things to do. Oh yeah. Uh, for me, you know, coming up, it happened so fast, so young. I mean, I was a teenager playing six nights a week, 52 weeks a year yeah. for decades. And it was just every day and every day and every day. And the circle, like you said, got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and then things changed as they always do. And, and all of that changed. Yeah. Um, the time and the evolution of the music and the whole thing, you find out which one of those people you're going to be. Are you going to be the guy that says, oh, we're going to do it again? Or are you going to be the guy that says, that was really good, but I think we can do it better. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's the third thing, which is the knowing when to stop, you know, because as they say, great is the enemy of good. And a lot of times in search of that, that imaginary greatness, people blow right past something that was really good. So it's a dis- that's a that's a discipline too, and you know, with everything I do for you know my music career, the thing you the one the one label that 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 I I will wear is producer, and the producer's job is to say that it's time to stop, you know, because it's like it's like a sculpture. If if you were a sculptor and you're carving a a, a, a face and you got to stop. Otherwise, if you hit it one more time, you're going to break the nose off or something. You know, it's like, but I, well, believe me, I, I have a studio in my home. I, you know, I've produced records, but I, I am a drummer. Yeah. Um, I, and I was going to ask you that. Do you call yourself, uh, you know, are you, uh, but you answered the question, you're a producer. Um, I just want to go back for a minute before I ask you my dazzling question. I have, I have to say, Susan uh, Short is in the room and she's saying, hi, Michael. Hello, Susan. Susan Short is in the house. Yeah, in the she house. can't say enough good yeah, stuff she's, about you. Yeah. She loves you. Well, the check is in the mail, Susan. Thanks. Keep it up. Keep it up. <laughs> Yeah, let me tell you what, she's triple uh, A all the way, that yeah, girl, we're, we're having a good time, she's uh, she's uh, making some stuff happen for my, I have uh, that art thing going where I don't try not to chip off the nose too much, right. but uh, and, and she's, uh, she's been amazing for me, and introducing me to some great people, present company included, right. so, um, but, but um, go back, for me, I heard music in elementary school for the first time live in an auditorium, the ambience, the sound of the drums, and I instantly knew uh, beyond any reason that that's what I wanted to do. I knew it. It had right. nothing to do with it. It was just the sound and the feeling that I got in that room at that right. young age, whatever it was, four or five. Right. How did it start for you? Um, I started playing guitar when I was six years old, and I could hear music in my head before I could even play it. I could just imagine sound. And, and I thought, I, to be honest with you, I thought there was something wrong with me when I was a little boy because I could literally hear music when no music was playing. And I, now, you know, now we know we can, but musicians, we're always hearing little riffs in our mind. 
But as a kid, I didn't know that you could do that. I thought I was hearing things, you know, and, um, and I have, um, so I was always hearing music and I didn't know you could make your own music. I thought music came from the radio, you know? And so I, um, that's how it started. And then I was given a guitar when I was six, um, because I was always playing with brooms and pretending I was playing and, and also because where I came from was really a rough part of town in Detroit. And so my mom gave me something to do. So I wasn't outside playing all the time because it was yeah. literally sometimes a life and death experience, you know? So, um, but the minute they gave me the guitar, I, I was able to play notes on it, like melodies. And the first song I ever played was, um, what's it called? The 69th street bridge song. It's called, you know, feeling groovy. Simon and Garfunkel did it. Um, it wasn't Simon and Garfunkel. It was, um, Harper's Bazaar. Um, but, um, that was, um, the first song I ever played and I could play the melody just instinctively because I could remember the melody. And after a few minutes with the guitar, I started dan, 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 dan. everybody started like, what's the matter with this kid? <laughs> you know, cause I could hear it, you know? So I, um, I just happened to have an ear, literally an ear for music. And, and then I had a brother who was in a, a band and, uh, like a local band and, he was in a doo-wop group too. You know, they all had the matching suits made sing and, and, oh. and uh, outside at night. And I thought, and all the girls loved him. And then I thought, Oh, that's cool. Maybe I should be a, maybe I should do this music thing, you know? And, uh, he would always bring musical instruments home and they'd be in the basement. Like a, one week would be a drum set and another week it would be like a Farfisa organ or a whatever. And so when no one was around, I'd go and tinker with it. And I just got <clears throat> interested in playing it. And I, and I never stopped, you know? So that's uh, that's I mean, so your first uh, the first instrument would have been guitar. But how did producing happen? You know, my, it happened because I wanted to write my own songs and I couldn't afford at the time the the, the resources. Because back then we're talking, you know, um, by the time I really wanted to understand how to make music like that was early 70s, 1970s. And studio time was expensive. I mean a roll of tape was expensive tape. You know, we didn't have pro tools yet. Right. So I couldn't, I, and I, and I, 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 what happened was I wanted to write songs. I could hear the song in my head, almost already finished. Like it was a finished record playing and I couldn't get people to play what I wanted. Cause they would always say, well, what if we did this? And what if we, did? I already heard it already kind of realized. And so I had to learn how to play the drums and the bass and the keyboards so I could play it myself, but I also had no way to record it. So I got a, uh, like a gopher job at a recording studio, you know, literally picking up stuff at the end of the night and running out and getting sandwiches. And so that at night when no one was around, they'd let me mess around with the gear. As long as I put it all back by morning and cleaned up that before, by the way. Um, <laughs> so I taught myself how to do that all so that I could eventually make my own demos of songs, you know? But it was like, it's like, I want to have a house, but first I have to learn how to, to saw wood. And, yeah. and, and, you know, so that's what I did. That's, uh, that's incredible, Dan. Yeah. Uh, and, and what was the, uh, what was, I mean, it's so interesting. I love, you know, talking to this whole show that, you know, I do is, um, it's based on the conversations that we would have if we ran into each other in an yeah. airport or, you know, uh, waiting for a, a car or at a hotel, but whatever it is. And it's, 
I, I love the fact that I'm meeting, still meeting new people, but I, uh, you know, with such uh, vast resources here and there, it's just, it's really, this has been a, a, a real blast for me. So what was yeah. your first big day? Yeah, so what was the, what was the thing that made the difference? What was, yeah. uh, what was when you knew, oh, wow, okay, this is going to be cool? Oh, Lord. Um, well, I, I got exposed to a lot of cool stuff as a kid because Detroit, all the great bands were coming through to play, you know, and right down the street from my house was this old converted movie theater called the East town theater. And, uh, it used to be a movie theater. And then they started having rock bands come. And even though it was in the inner city, a lot of rock bands played there because it was a cheap place to rent. And the kids would come in from the suburbs and they'd be hanging out outside. So as you walk by, you'd see these signs that would say James game or Grand Funk Railroad, or whatever. And it's like, wow. And so I'd go in the alley and just listen, because I couldn't get in. I was too young. and uh, But I, I I could listen in the alley and hear the band, because I was closer to the band than half the audience, because I was right in the alley, and the stage is right by the back door entrance, right? And so um, Marshall Tucker, all these bands would come through, and I'd hear them. And then eventually, um, I got playing with this local band that played reggae music. Um, because Detroit has a large West Indian population. Um, a lot of Jamaicans and people from the West Indies live there. And there was a local radio DJ uh, from Detroit who was actually Jamaican. His name was Horatio Bennett. What a great name. And he had his own radio program playing reggae music, but he also had a band called the Heat Waves. And uh, they would play in Detroit at this place called the Jamaican Social Club every weekend. And the Jamaicans would come and they'd play reggae music and they'd dance. But every now and then, famous singers from Jamaica would come and make an appearance, you know. And I was in, I eventually got into the house band and I'm playing reggae, you know. And um, this band came in called the Heptones. And anybody who knows reggae, old school, you know, would have heard of them. And um, they said um, they thought I was Jamaican because... First of all, the way I talked, they didn't think I sounded like an American because of all the black people they heard on TV was on Starsky and Hutch and stuff like that. So they, the, the TV shows, you know, I didn't sound like any of that. And also I played reggae naturally because I'd been playing it for so long, listening to all those records. So they just thought I was Jamaican and they asked me if I wanted to go on a little tour with them, you know, and I did. And a couple of the shows they were opening for this other guy named Bob Marley. And I thought, <laughs> and so, and so that's, that was like, wow, this is exciting. But the best part about it was when they came back to Leroy Sibbles, who was the lead singer of the Heptones went and did his own solo thing. And he had me play bass with him. And when they came to Detroit, we played at the East town theater. <laughs> the same place I used to stand in the alley and listen to music. And I thought, even though I wasn't making much money, I thought this is like this. That was my cool moment. That was for me. I'm playing. That was my, it was a small little place. You know, I bet if I went in there now, it's probably a few hundred, you probably put 500 people in there. But for me, it was like, um, this, that's the place I always dreamed of being in. And there I was in it. So that was one, you know, because, because of what it meant to me, you know? And then, um, after that, you know, it was just a bunch. Life is funny because there's so many, you don't realize that you're making a career until you look back at what you've done. 
It's just like if you're walking, you don't realize you walked a hundred miles until you look back wow. and say, oh, I can't see my house anymore, you know? So yeah. it's, it's like that. I don't really, you know, but there's been, a, there's been milestones, I would imagine. You know I mean? Working with Anita Baker was a milestone because she is the one who gave me my first producer credit on a record. That's huge. Yeah. Because, um, you know, she didn't hire me to be a producer. She hired me to, to do other things, engineering wise and electronic wise and drum machines and all of that stuff. But this one song she had me do, and she really put me through the ringer to get this thing done. But in the end, I guess I survived the test. And so she gave me a, a, a producer credit for that one song. And then I was literally officially on a record as a producer. And anybody who makes records knows that money is good, but credit's most important. And it's, it's hard to get credit when you're first starting out, you know? And so she was willing to do that. And again, that was a, a huge thing, you know? Um, yeah. Coming to California and working with Paul Buckmaster, that might be the most important thing because he taught me so much about the parts of music that I didn't already know, you know, like about arranging and scoring and, and how movie music works and how TV and how it all is supposed to sound. And, and now when we have a real orchestra and I'm writing out the charts, I was talking to someone just the other day and they heard some music I had written that was orchestral. And they said, well, I know you wrote the melody, but who did the orchestration? Who wrote all the parts of the flutes? And I did. And they're like, <laughs> you know, and so it's, uh, but I, I would have never been able to do that if I hadn't met Paul, you know? And um, so that was another life changing thing. You know, so there are various things like that. It's interesting because, you know, we were, I've been looking forward to this because it's always nice, you know, it's always nice to, to see somebody, you know, to meet somebody new and talk, you know, talk the talk with someone, someone else's voice on the other end. It's always, you know, it's always about the growth. Yeah. And so today, you know, we had, when we spoke the last time, it was just actually really you and me. <laughs> um, I told you that I was going to send you some music. And mm -hmm. I was in today. And the, uh, it's the funniest thing that you said that because what I did was, um, and again, when I do all the electronic stuff, it's, I don't know where it's ever going to go or what's ever going to happen. It's just fun for me. I'm kind of good at doing it. And I've done my share of film scoring and that kind of stuff too. So it's interesting. So today I put up this thing called Master Sessions Metals. And it's these wonderful 16 bar loops that if you just keep changing every 16 bars, it sounds like somebody's just playing you know just it's it's and then i played along with it and orchestrated hits you know orchestra hits and all this and i was thinking oh wow yeah, yeah. You know, just it's it's fun so i i uh so you were on my mind today and i will uh you know good good yeah, Grins, well, I'll send it to you well i got Absolutely. It. Yeah, more to do on it but it was uh it was uh, it was fun it was a good day in there yeah, well, any day in the studio is a good day, you know. Man, I tell you what, I, lo I love, um, I love that I have. I mean, it's it's more like a private plane than a than a you know giant, but it does everything that I could ever need it to do. Starting with, I can cut my drums in there. You know, right. I mean, my gear is set up, and you know, the mics have been moved for a year to get them in the run. So, I, you know, and I've got it automated to the point where I have, you know, I can run the control room from behind the drums from right. 
not going to have it break out. And, you know, for all of the dogging that Pro Tools gets, you know what, you know what the Pro Tools engineer said to the singer, right? What? That sucked. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> for uh, for all the of that, I am not an accomplished. I you know I can play chords. If you said you know give me a C with a C minor seventh, I you know I can find my way around on all the instruments. But if it wasn't for Pro Tools and especially for MIDI, I would. Just eating on things with a stick and now because of where everything has come to over all these years i yeah. can use all that ted you know just kind of make my own little world in there and it's i love it man well any tool properly used is going to advance music and any tool that's not properly used well it's going to cause it's going to give you what people get you know so it, i mean pro tools itself is a wonderful thing i mean i've been using pro tools since it was called sound tools and it only worked in stereo. I mean, I think all of the technology out there, even auto-tune, is a great thing if you know what you're doing. But the problem is, whenever people start thinking, well, this is a crutch, or this is a, this is a, a, it's a, a shortcut, it's a, it's a way, that's when things go wrong. You know, I mean, I've had singers sing incredible parts with really passionate whatever, and then there's one note that's just a little off, and I was able to save the whole performance by fixing that one note. It's different than taking a person who can't sing at all and thinking, well, this computer will just turn them into a singer. Yeah, no, you, that's, that's programming in a scale. And so do, is it, for you, is it is it, um, is it Melodyne or is it uh, uh, Auto-Tune? For me, it's Auto-Tune only because I've used it ever since. Again, it's I, I, at my age, it's like, you know, if you got a hammer that you like and it's comfortable in your hand, I don't need to see the new modern hammer. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't break it. You know, and I also got, then I also have to learn how to use a new thing. I have Melodyne. I have only because if someone sends me a session that's got Melodyne in it already, I, I guess I got to have it, but I don't use it on a daily basis. You know, I don't use any, I don't use, um, I don't. I use what the, the whatever tool the job calls for is what I'll use. You know, but I'll tell you what. There's if you want a really good vocal sound, get a guy who can sing, and if you want a really good drum sound, get a good drummer. You know, that's going to save you all that other stuff. I mean, you could spend thirty days fixing a mediocre performance, or you can just get somebody who can play the right way. And I don't mean. You know, sometimes the wrong drummer is a guy who plays nothing but jazz, but now you want him to play country, you know, or it, you got to get the right guy for the job and then let them and then leave them alone and let them play. You know, then it's just you put the microphones where they belong and, 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 and all of that. And, and then you don't have as much to fix. You think about, you know, if you use a movie analogy, you look at somebody like Alfred Hitchcock and, and you think that guy shot those movies in sequence and he didn't do a lot of extra takes. You know, David Bowie was famous for almost never doing extra takes. Once he got it, he'd leave. He didn't think, oh, I got it. You know, he, he, if you got someone who can do what they do, they just do it. That's the, that's the key. I mean, a lot of the technology we have today can enhance things and, and they could save some things that might be you know, kind of lacking, but the only way to get a great performance is to get a great performer. Is to give one, of course. Yeah, of exactly. course. 
and the only thing you know the 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 beauty of the whole of the technology is it kind of because i like you i can hear orchestrations in my head i don't have perfect pitch i have relative pitch um but i can hear orchestrations in my head and i when i i got a break to do uh some network television stuff mm -hmm. and there, it was all subtractive eq you can't add any eq it was this library this library this thing and that and it, it, different you know the drill different for oh, each yeah. and um but i learned so much by doing that and i was able to hear things and piece things together so for me you know the the technology has been nothing but a gift um, you know there's but the producer in you is is what i agree with if you put the right people in the right places and let them do what they're good at it'll happen you oh, just yeah. have to for it yeah, and that's another maxim. I'm like, I always like to say, you can't make it happen. You just have to let it happen, you know. And I have seen producers really kill the vibe when it's all cooking and they stop everything, you know, just because they want to say, okay, I'm I'm in charge here, you know. Even if they stop everything just to say, you guys are doing great. Now get back to it. It's like <laughs> the air's just let out of the room, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah yeah well listen you know and and but those are all the things that you try to learn from and be better you know for your own self and your own experience you know i mean that's you know the goal is to make the music the star and the song is the star and everything you do is just to make the song as good as it can be and even if that means the idea that you thought was good isn't working out so well let it jettison that idea. It's not a matter of it's my idea. My name is on it. My fingerprints are on it. Is this a good song? Because I tell you what, if it's all yours and it doesn't make a hit, you're not getting many more jobs, you know? So. It's all yours, man. It's all yours. Take it. Right. Your mom heard this? No, I, I hear you. And, and the thing is, is, is when you're, you know, if you're the smartest guy in the room, the room's too small. Right. So, yeah. you know, uh, so it's, you know, and, and for me, I love being able to learn new things, just talk new things. And um, but it's always been a marriage of technology and talent or or technology because you can't you can't polish a turd. Uh, no. you know, and uh, uh, but, you know, it's they say it's not the wand, it's the magician. But yeah, it's, it's to have a good wand. Right. It really helps. All right, so now are you ready for my my five earth-shattering questions that sum up the entire universe of your career? Yes, this is one of those touring tests or something. All right, this is it. Well, this is this is my version of uh, of the actor's studio, that French thing that he does with what's your oh, favorite. Oh, yes. Yeah. This is my, my version of that. So you'll, and it, it, it'll take a couple of twists and turns. I try, you know, I decided to do this show and do it. If I'm going to do something, whether it's 20 people or 20,000, I'm doing it with all I have. I want to bring everything I can bring to the table and, you know, just have as much fun and newness as I can have. But I realized that there, you know, I had to get out of it. And I can talk until the sun comes up and goes down again. Yeah. And we've all been there. But <laughs> I knew that there was, you know, I was going to have to get out of it at some point. So I came up with my little questionnaire. Yeah. And um, it starts like this. I mean, you've been, I know you've been to Germany. You've been all over the world. When you're can, I tell you what, can I tell you a Germany story? Please. Yeah. Okay. This is a Germany story. 
we were playing at one of those gigantic outdoor festivals and in the afternoon as any band knows there's like a whole back area where all the bands are and all the buses are and all the trucks are and you're kind of cloistered back there and they had this gigantic gas barbecue grill like an industrial grill and i come stumbling out of my bus and i'm like looking for food and i see this grill and there's nobody cooking it's not time yet you know but the equipment's there and then i look and i notice this refrigerator and it's got all these steaks in it and i'm thinking well you know what's the harm so i fire up one of the burners and i make my own steak right and I'm cooking it away, and I look up, and next thing I know, there's a line of like literally 30 people all with their plates. They think I'm the cook. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> next thing I know, I'm actually cooking. <laughs> I don't want to let them down. And, and, and then the real cook comes, and he's like, Snitch, 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 Oh, that's he was very angry. That's yeah. very funny. That's oh, angry. It's, you tell that story, and it brings. I, I, uh, <laughs> I get a call from Leslie West. Who oh man! Said, oh, yeah, he says, Steve, we're playing Sweden. I said, When? He said, Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I said, well, I got to be back but on Sunday. I'm starting rehearsals with John on my. You'll be back. <laughs> You'll be back. Yeah. Be back. So, uh, so you know the drill. It's New York to Gatwick to uh, Copenhagen to the uh, bus on the ferry and the whole thing. And so I am so disoriented. And not only that, but it's, I guess it's summer. So we've got the mid land of the midnight sun, that whole yeah. thing. It's like Carlson. Uh, how, yeah, it was Carlson, the Carlson Music Fest. Yeah. yeah. And it took us longer to eat. The boat ride was longer than the set. But I'm so disoriented by everything that's going on. And I see in the distance, there's what I think is a barbecue. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, yes, barbecue. And I start walking towards this tent. And it's got smoke coming out of the top of it. And I open up the flap and there's like... 30 people in this thing and there's a campfire going in the middle and they're throwing blocks of hash on the fire oh, no. <laughs> a lot of musicians in there <laughs> wow. needless to say the show was late getting started <laughs> well, yeah actually my show was over at that point you know so it but man i mean oh. that was just wow it was uh, and the, the worst part is I was there because I was hungry. So that was, you know, <laughs> this worked on your appetite. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, so yeah. So, so, uh, segue back to Germany or any other place yeah. when you, when you get the, the, the tour book and it says you're going to Austria. Oh, I can't wait to eat at Bobo Strudel house. Where is <laughs> favorite restaurant on the road, you know, or, you know, one that just really tugs at a heart string. Who doesn't love Bobo's though? You know, I mean, come right. on. Well, yeah, I didn't want to give it away. <laughs> give it away, but Bobo does not. Favorite place to eat is the question. It's a, it's a restaurant on the road that, like, when I know I'm going to a certain part in England, I try to get to this restaurant because I love it there. Or a barbecue you know, place. It, does, it, can, like believe, it could be White Castle. It could be anything. Yeah. You know. It could, well, it depends on where you are. I mean, if it's in the United States. I want to eat at Morton's Steakhouse whenever I can because I like steak, oh. and that's that. Okay, simple. <laughs> uh, and if I'm in uh, like 
in if I'm in like Japan, like Tokyo, uh, like the Toyosu fish market, you know, the, it's like a, it's right on the water. It's like, that's where they bring all the fish in. And so they have the little sushi places right there. And they, they, it's like, it's, it's it doesn't get any pressure. So if you like sushi and stuff like that, that's awesome. And, but a lot of the places I like to eat are hotels. I mean, like, um, really good hotels have also really good food. And, yeah. um, uh, so, hmm? Yeah, Drake or what? Yeah, like in Montro, um, Montro, Switzerland. There's a hotel Raffles, uh, and that's where uh, you know. And of course, Montro is famous for. Most people know Montro because of smoke on the water. We all came yeah. down to Montro, yeah. and I was in Montro with Deep Purple in 2006, I think, and we stayed at Raffles, and the food in the restaurant was so good. And uh, those kind of places always have good food. You know, the Savoy in London has, I love hotels. If I had my way, I'd live in a hotel. I would never go outside again. And uh, unless it was time to play. Um, um, but but I, I love food. I love good hotel restaurants. There's something about the service and just the, the quality of it. Um, Billy Joel's band said Yeah, a lot of the guys in, in Billy Joel's band said that. Yeah. But um, yeah. Um, well, uh, you, you played with Richie Sambora. Um, yeah. you know that Tico's, uh, has his bedroom designed exactly like a, a hotel suite? Holiday Inn. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I think that's what happens when we spend that long on the road. You know, well, I'm, thinking, like, you know I'm, I'm thinking that's a long time. Yeah. That's, I'm thinking that's a while. Uh, yeah. All right. So anyway, okay. So we'll go with that. Okay. Let um, me tell you. Uh, speaking of hotels, okay. Uh, One time, we were in a hotel, and it was me and Uncle Cracker, me and Matt, and we're sitting there at this. And it wasn't like the fancy part of the hotel. This wasn't even a fancy hotel. This was in when we were in the early earlier Kid Rock days, you know. And uh, where, where we were in, um, we were in America. I think we were like in Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania or someplace. Yeah. Like that. And, uh, and it was really interesting because that day, all these bands happened to be crossing through ZZ top us, Iron Maiden. We were all in the same hotel, but not on the same tour. We were our routing. Just, we all just happened to be there. Right. And, uh, so that was a whole nother situation, but in the morning, Cracker and I are down in the little diner part of this hotel and we're sitting there having eggs or whatever. And there are these two girls sitting at another table and they keep looking over at us and then they kind of talk to each other and they're looking over at us and we're thinking, Oh God, here it comes. They're going to want an autograph. They want a picture. And then one of the girls finally comes up and walks up and says, excuse me. And I say, yeah. And she says, are you guys using that ketchup? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's what reminds me when, when, uh, and whistle was playing on the Ringo tour, they were doing Atlantic city and he said, you know, you gotta come down mate. And so we're at, it's, uh, I think they played the hard rock hotel and after the show we're at that long, you know, row of tables, it's like a narrow tables with the bench. It goes off and it's me and Lori and John on the other side of me and whoever else was on down and there's these two girls next to me and they're giggling right now. My hair was long and curly and it was that 
know, it was also blonde. Mm-hmm. And, and they're giggling. I said, all right, what's going on over here? And they said, oh, my friend thinks you look like Roger Daltrey. <laughs> and so I laughed and I said, well, what about him? Do you think he looks like John Entwistle? And they went, no. <laughs> yeah. And there was another time. We're going to, we're going to the, um, the Guggenheim. Mm. Because it was the same tour. Because Ringo was uh, Ringo and Jackie Joyner, Kersey, and um, who's Doctor Quinn, the medicine woman? Uh, oh, um, I can picture her. Um, Seymour. Yes, Seymour. Thank you. That's that's a rhythm section for you. (laughs) Um, And they're all doing the art. They had done art for Mastercard. They were so you know you could if you got the Mastercard, you get this uh, your pick of the art. And we get you know they're doing it's a whole big thing. We get (laughs) John and I get out of the car, and I'm you know six four, six three, six four. Mm And um, so we walk out of the car and the, and the flash bulbs are going off and they're going, John, Roger, John, <laughs> Roger. And Anderson goes, he's not Roger. And somebody said, well, he looks like Roger. And Anderson goes, if he was standing on a chair. <laughs> That's my brush with the paparazzi. <laughs> you could have done anything you wanted that day and you would have had a license to steal because they would have said did you see what Daltrey did oh, oh. <laughs> Roger Daltrey robs bank <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> doesn't everybody's 58 have a roll of duct tape on it <laughs> okay so now, now now we get into the musical section this ah. is the musical part okay doesn't matter what gig, doesn't matter with who, where, when you see this next song on the set list, favorite, one of your absolute favorite songs to play live. Well, um, I'll tell you what, it depends on the kind of music. I mean, like if it was soul music, um, like Midnight Hour, gotta wait till Midnight Hour. I just love that song. The groove is just too, too much. And for rock, like smoke on the water as cliche as it is it's just one of the best riffs ever made and the bass part that kicks in it's like now we're rolling you know and um and roger glover told me the secret to the bass sound of that song i said you know i said how did you i've been trying my whole life to get my bass to sound like that and amps and pedals and guitars and he says oh the speaker, the cone on my speaker was torn. It was a broken speaker. It just was, that's why it's was, it was like, oh. <laughs> it was just the sound of a rattling speaker, you know? So I said, oh, well, I wasted 30 years doing that. But uh, Smoke on the Water. And then uh, for jazz, one of my favorite jazz groups is Weather Report. And Jocko Pastorius, man, the bass player, that song he wrote called Teen Town. It's just... Love it. That's great. It's a great workout for a bass player. So, I mean... Yeah, but I love those. And all of those have great bass parts. You know, all three of those songs. Yeah, yeah. Especially in Teen Town. That's... We watched his documentary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, amazing. But yeah, the way that that it's just so, and for a drummer to play against that man, oh, yeah. that's like, uh, what's his name, uh, Joe Frazier, um, 
who played that uh, god? Why can't I think? Uh, Patitucci? Mm -hmm. John Patitucci, maybe? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It was, it doesn't matter. It's, it was a Bill Bruford. I think it was a, a Bill Bruford's band. Ah. Um, oh. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, but I, yeah. It's yeah. not Patitucci. It's, no. uh, uh, it's from Long Island. Anyway, it doesn't, oh. anyway that, that, I love that kind of, you know, that kind of just yeah. playing. It's awesome. Yeah. So now, Setlist comes out, and you're not so happy to play this song. You don't care if you ever play this next song again. What song oh, I can't think of anything. I mean, every song is somebody's favorite song. You know, I mean, it's like I wouldn't want to cast any aspersions on a song. It turns out, oh, we got married. Oh, my baby was born when that song was playing. Or, you know, uh, I, I can't think of a song I never want to play again. I've never played a song that I never want to play again. Jeff Berlin. Pat Romano. Thank you. It's Pat Romano. Jeff Berlin. <laughs> oh, Jeff Berlin. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, have, I, thought you saying, I thought you were saying that's the song you don't want to hear. Jeff Berlin. Oh, <laughs> he was good. No. Like an encyclopedia. No, and, and yet, in, in court, when you don't want to answer a question, you take the fifth. And on this show, all you have to do is take the minor third. And you <laughs> take the minor third. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, all right, now... So there's no song that he doesn't want to play. No, there's no, no, no. Okay. He, he took the minor fifth. Yeah. Um, okay. And I'm standing by that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, enforceable. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, instrument, and, and this counts for guitar and bass. Mm -hmm. Instrument other than yours that you'd like to absolutely rip at. In your fantasy world... One adjust. I wish I could really play the harmonica like a really great blues harmonica player. You know, I mean, I've got harmonicas because uh, sometimes I need to make that sound just like a pop, 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 but not like I I could. Ne I mean, if I could play like Lee Oscar or Magic Dick or or one of those guys, Rome, those guys who could really just wail. I I just love that sound. Detroit yeah. Breakdown. I saw Magic yeah. Dick. Uh, I saw that band when all that stuff was happening at the Garden. Yeah. Freaking incredible. Incredible. That, incredible. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, what, what a great band. Great band. Yeah, that's one I wish I could play. Yeah. Okay. I, I Believe me, I got that because when I listen to Popper or any of those guys really rip, it's just... It's, it's another one. Yeah, it's like just... It's like it's like Junior Walker on a sax, you know what yeah. I mean? And Popper's like an electric guitar player. He's got like all these pedals and effects and He's even got a special microphone stand that has like these buttons in it. So like if he wants echo or distortion, he can push a button on the stand and it triggers, it, it, it activates these different, he's got pedals like a guitar player's pedal board and it's all controlled by these buttons in his microphone stand. It's a whole custom setup. He's amazing. He's amazing. Gotta love that, man. I mean, that's, 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 that's just major greatness. Yeah. yeah he's a, he's a real virtuoso. You know? Okay. So we got you on the harp. You took the minor third on the on the uh, song. Now this is this is actually this is fun. I mean, you know, could could upset you a little bit, but I don't think so. <laughs> if you could play one one set, you. <laughs> one set, one show with anybody or any combination of guys, living or dead, who would it be? 
Wow. Um, the bands that I always wish I could play with are bands that have good bass players already. And so I never will get to play with them. Um, but I love Massive Attack. I think they sound incredible. Great bass lines, great kind of dub vibe. And I love Ramstein. I think they sound incredible. And they, they've been together since, I think that's the only, one of the only bands where nobody, I think still the original guys after like 30 years or something. And their bass player is perfect for them. I, I, I think I love rhythm section so much. And I think that um, the bands that I like the most have really solid, great rhythm sections and they'll never need me because they've got really good bass players. But if I could, I'd play with... Let me just point out one thing. Hmm. You could play hard. <laughs> this is your fantasy. You <laughs> can't to play, to play harmonica with Ramstein. What that would change. You'd be the one who needs a pedal board. That would, and then have to set the harmonica on fire, and that starts a whole new set of problems. <laughs> there goes the pyro. There goes the pyro, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I, love, I love bands like that with really good... I love all the bands I really... There are bands I hear in town. I, I'd love to play with them, but I mean, there's no room for... Because they got they yeah, all the bands I really dig like that always have a really good bass player who's really perfect for for the band, you know. Yeah, well, I get that. I tell you, I, I uh, oh, obviously if I if I could have mine, it would be Jimi Hendrix, just because of the freedom that Mitch Mitchell yeah. had that band. You know, that would be I'd love to give that a whirl. But ah, uh, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of people who are still alive that I like to play with too. So you yeah. Know, going yeah but it must also i mean to be a mitch mitchell for example the fact that Jimi hendrix trusted you enough to let you go like that is a is also a testament to how good he was and how he was again the right guy for the job but it must feel good to know that it always feels good when you know the guy who's the leader is saying okay i'm not going to tell you every note to play you do your thing you know i i you, I'm not worried about you, you know. But that's always a uh, a vote of um, a confidence, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, Hendrix. You know, Hendrix was that he was that keystone moment for me. Um, you know, I was playing in a band before the Beatles because mm -hmm. it's just the way it happened. It right. was a story in the trumpet and a snare drum and a hi hat. Mm -hmm. but, but we had a name and we had an original song. We actually, we were called the Continentals and we mm. had the Continental theme. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, was, <laughs> and uh, still cashing those checks today. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I, I don't know, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm lucky to, we're lucky to do what we do, blessed to do what we do. I've uh, been in a band my whole life. I can't imagine life without music. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't know, I, you know, I could, I could talk with stuff forever. And yeah, this is, uh, it's a great platform for me here to kind of feel some normalcy of, you know, some backstage or some studio lounge or a tour bus or something, you know what I mean? Like, ah, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to go all Drew Barrymore on you or anything, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. Do you have, uh, you know, I, I like to close with something funny. Do you have some musical humor, perhaps a drummer joke that I haven't heard? <laughs> musical, musical humor. 
Yeah. Uh, there's nothing funny about this. <laughs> no, this is nothing. <laughs> this is a this is a long hard slog. This job of music is not funny. It's a lot of things, but it's not funny. Uh, no, I don't. You know, drummer jokes. I would never make a drummer joke. I, drummers are too important. Um, they're like a bass player would never make a, a good bass player would never make a drummer joke because that's like joking about your mom. You know, it's like there is there that's as that's as close as you get to like your twin. If they're if it's a if a rhythm section's playing together right, you know, that's the guy you really wanna be with. I mean, there's a couple of drummers I've played with over the years that it's like if they're there, like, everything's gonna be all right, you know. So um <laughs> but that, she said, what about a lead singer, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they can't help it. <laughs> I blame is Robin Zander. You know, lead singer jokes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's, all, it's just all a bunch of incidents, you know. I mean, uh, I think my favorite lead singer story, and I won't tell you the name of the singer, but I will say that this guy was really into just being as weird as he could just to see if he could get, get away with it. And, and uh, I was, the first time we were, I met him, we were in a recording studio. And he showed up late, like hours late, as singers do. And uh, he had with him this little black case. And it kind of looked like this. And uh, he opened up this little case while he's talking. And inside it was a bunch of acupuncture needles. I'm not making this up. And, and he's still talking like it's the most natural thing in the world to be carrying around these things. And he takes one of the needles out and he sticks it into the top of his head. <laughs> And it's literally sticking out of his head, you know, like an antenna. And he's talking, and he goes, oh, is it in straight? <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, it's perfect. So. Wow, <laughs> what man. else can I say? <laughs> That's, I, <laughs> no, I don't think it's Todd. Although I can see Todd wearing that. Doing that. Nah, I can't see Todd. <laughs> it, was, it was just so trippy, but, you know, it's, it's it's it. Those are the stories that kill me because it's there are guys who want to see if you can take it. You know, can can they rattle your cage? Can they? You know, are you going to be able to hang? Can you? You know, and that was one of those. You know, so well, you know, it's funny you mentioned um, you mentioned Roger Glover, and I uh, I, I know Roger, and mm -hmm. he actually was in the film that I did, and blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. But I wound up auditioning for Blackmore's Rainbow. Mm. And somehow I got the call from, if you know Bruce Payne, it doesn't matter. Long story oh, yeah, I know Bruce Payne. Okay, so there you go. So yeah. um, so I go out and I'm at this rehearsal place. And it's, you know, I play double kick drums and it's that's my thing. But, you know, right. they, have a single, they have a regular kit there. And it's not a huge room, not a, a sound stage. It's whatever. And uh, he says to me, uh, do you do a drum solo? And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, how long? I said, whatever you need. And he said, a minute, two minutes. I said, you know, whatever you need. Five yeah. minutes, ten minutes. I said, if, you know, if that's what you need. He said, really? I said, well, you know, yeah. So we're doing long live rock and roll, which is a shuffle, right? Mm -hmm. 
and he uh, David Rosenthal is playing keyboards and uh, and uh, he he waves David off and now it's just me him and Roger playing the riff and then he uh, sits down and Roger is now and I are you know kind of shuffle playing together and then he tells Roger to just stop so now I'm in shuffle time on a single kick drum you know single rack one floor yes. and it's drum solo time now I just told this guy I'll do whatever you want 10 minutes 20 minutes whatever you want you know what I mean and I'm being serious because I do extended solo with synthesizers or I can do the rat tat tat at the doom too right right so he sits down unplugs his guitar and he's sitting on the amp like this Roger no no Richie oh Richie <laughs> no, Roger. Roger, Roger. Roger's cool. as cool as he yeah. could possibly be. Yeah. I thought everyone else was already pushed off the out of the way, like it's just you and Roger. Okay. No, 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 no. It was me and Roger, and then he went tells Roger to stop, and now it's just me and shuffle time on this single kit. And I said, oh, I said, man, you are going to hear every note that I have ever learned how to play ever. I'm doing the stuff on the side of the shell. I said, you are going to play me back into this song, or we're going to be here until you're hungry and I'm, <laughs> rims and I'm doing the cymbal stuff and I'm doing every Gene Krupa Buddy Rich movie yeah. I can think of I'm playing on the wall I'm playing along the microphone and I'm just looking at him like you know we could do this all night and he yeah. and played me out and the next thing I knew I was at whatever it was Airmont Road uh, tracking with the band which was its whole another yeah. experience yeah yeah, Again, they want to see if you can take it. Can you? Can you? Can you hang? Can you? Can you? Can you hang? You know, that's that's the that's the magical question. Yeah, and it's you know, and it's it's funny because I know a lot of guys. You know, I mean, I know a lot of guys that go out and play um, for Alice Cooper or this one yeah. or that one, and it's you know, you spend an hour and a half together on stage. You're spending the rest of the day, and uh, you know. And that's another thing, you know, that's the beauty of making it this, you know, far in our careers. We yeah. have, that, you know, we have that luxury of knowing this guy's been in it his whole life. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not going to be hard to diagnose whether this is right or wrong. I mean, you know, yeah. that's, that's just the way it goes. Well, Michael, man, I, I took you a, an hour and 40 over and, um, uh, just tell what's what's day to day for you now. Are you working on anything? Is anything going on? Well, I'm always working on something. I mean, I'm working with Dave, even though he's down there and I'm here. We're working on a, a new singer named Iris Gold, who's from the from uh, where is she from? Like the Netherlands or some such place. An amazing, amazing uh, singer, Afro as big as this room. I mean, she's a, like a throwback, but she's also just a modern. And because she's from that part of the world, she doesn't have a, a typical like American or England kind of rock and roll sensibility. It's like a real hybrid of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're we've been producing her record lately. And the other thing I'm doing is completely the other end of the spectrum. I'm I I made a I'm making an album of um if you can imagine, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of movie music, and one of my favorite composers is Bernard Herrmann, who wrote all the most of the really big Alfred Hitchcock scores, like like Vertigo and Psycho and stuff. So I did this. I had this idea to, to do a mashup with the themes from those movies and like these trip hop beats, like Massive Attack or Portishead type beats. 
And then I got these actors like Creed Bratton from The Office and Alicia Wet, Alicia Witt from the, the Walking Dead to okay. do like to do like voices, like to like recite some of so it's almost like Pink Floyd. You know how those voices just come out of nowhere? It's it's trippy as anything. And then we shot a bunch of movie footage. So I'm working on putting together this live concert with an orchestra and that music. Um and now that COVID's uh uh is settling down, um we're planning on I'm planning on doing a tour um of doing that. Um and then there's already talk of, you know, there's stuff that Dave has planned for sort of a Eurythmics kind of tour, but it won't be with Andy probably. Um, and then there's, there's all, I, it's, it's just like every day is something else. You know, I, 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 what I do is I have three or four projects that I like to mess with. And so I'm never like on one anytime too long. Um, there's a new band that I, that I found in Wisconsin called AV Super Sunshine. They're like, they, they look like a Le- the guy, the singer, he looks like a Levi's commercial from 1972. He's with the, 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 the peace sign belt buckle and the, the belt flared corduroy pants and the, and he's just the, this odd, cool guy who has his own uh, unusual following and, and he's just this cool thing, you know? So I'm, it's all, it's a combination of the classic guys like Richie and, and Dave and people like that. And then these new people that I hear that I just really dig and also making my own music. And the other thing I've been working on is Dave Stewart and I have actually written, um, we're working on a, a musical. It was going to be a stage musical, but now it'll be a movie. And, uh, and I'm writing a, um, a book, which is a bunch of short stories, you know, um, there's just a bunch of crazy imagination, um, stories. You oh, know. fiction, fiction, yeah, fiction. Like, like, like Phil K. Dick, the guy who wrote, um, he wrote a bunch of short stories. One of them became Minority Report. One of them became Total Recall. He wrote a bunch of short stories that got made in the movies, and uh, I always liked his stories. And mine are not science fiction, but they are bizarre. You know, like one of them is the basic point of the story is if your dog tells you that he loves you, you should wait before you answer because he might be lying. You know, I mean the. <laughs> <laughs> the, so it's kind of surreal you know so I'm, i just mess around every day i come up with ideas and i just mess around you know and then some of them become whatever they become I, and believe me isn't that just the uh no matter what sink or swim that's the luxury of what we do yeah when it's easy and when it's hard i mean oh, yeah. What do you want to do? Oh, let's go put up some sounds and do this today. And you're right. I don't have an agenda. You know, I do whatever comes into my mind in that day to do, unless it's obviously something that's on the slate. But, yeah. uh, you know, hey, and you never know where you're going to find something new. Uh, you, you just never know. You, you know, I, uh, I knew a guy back in Detroit who was a, uh, well, he, he repaired guitars and he also made his own custom instruments. And I used to hang around his shop sometimes. I was a kid back then. And he would stand there sometimes for 20 minutes and just look at this piece of wood. And he'd have his cigarette in one hand. And every now and then he'd take a sip of coffee. And then he'd just look. And then he'd take his sandpaper and just go. And then he'd stand back and <laughs> look at it. And my life is kind of like that. I look at things. And I mess with them. And I tinker with them. And... And then we go on tour and then we play, you know, these big shows. And then I come home and I'm thinking about stuff and then we have a song and we got to make an album. So it's all of the thinking usually leads up to something, 
but you can't have something. I can't have something unless I have time to literally just think about it, you know, and then something comes out sooner or later. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, the funny thing is I, I have to shout out to Susan Short. She and I are working on a live performance thing because I do have all the programming stuff and all the gadgets and toys and things and that. And my art is wraps into it. So we're, you know, getting to reinvent uh, a thing. And it, that's what's exciting for me to do something. Fashion. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, and I have a fashion line that I that's based on the art. It's it's pretty nuts. But uh, so she's we're trying to put all three legs, you know, the fashion, the art, and the music all together because I compose and I right. do all that. You know, not that I say that idly. I, I'm very grateful to have the skills that I have and and. Yeah to use them you know nothing worse than being uh, an olympic swimmer in kansas well you can have a pool you can have a pool all right all right so then what so what nothing better well, I don't know. You, you got it you understood everyone understood <laughs> oh goodness gracious it's like having a hammond and a leslie with no cable how's that <laughs> <laughs> that would be torture. That would be torture. Yeah. But it's always that. Listen, it's always that weird little plug that gets you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So um, uh, you know, just get ready for some bizarre uh, orchestra drumming to come your way. Excellent. Just because you know, for the same reason dogs do what they do, because <laughs> we can. That's and, right. And it's That's coming. Right. You know, and I'm going to make you laugh now because I like to leave them laughing. Do you know about the the guy? The salesman that was driving uh, through the country and he saw the sign talking dog for sale. Do you know this? No. He said he sees a sign talking dog for sale, right? He's driving, he's talking dog for sale. A couple of miles down the road, he sees another sign talking dog for sale, two miles. Okay, it's on my way. Talking dog for sale, one mile ahead. So he finally gets there and he says, you know, sees the arrow into the farm and he, he pulls in kind of slow and guy comes out and he says, uh, I'm here about the dog. And he goes, oh, he's around back there. Go ahead and go ahead and see him. So the guy walks around to the back of the building and he sees the dog and he's dog's just kind of sitting there staring at him, right? <laughs> And the guy looks at the dog and he says, uh, you talk? And the dog says, yep, I've been talking my whole life, uh, ever since I was a puppy. And it blows everybody away. He said, and I've been used for it over all these years. I was given as a gift to politicians, and I've been sent overseas and given oh to all leaders. He said, and then when my cover got blown, I got brought back, and I was given to drug kingpins. And finally, I was wounded, and they retired me here with this guy. <laughs> and the salesman says, just stay right there. I'll be right back. He goes out in the front and he says to the says to the farmer, he says, uh, how much you want for that dog? Farmer says, fifty bucks. He goes, fifty bucks? Fifty bucks? And the guy says, Yeah, don't believe a word he said. He's not done any of that shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Dog joke. Had to do the dog joke. Can I can I give you one since we're now we're doing this? Okay, this is a story about a man who is a burglar, 
okay, and he breaks into somebody's house, and it's nighttime and it's dark, and he can't see anything, and he's wandering around looking for a light switch, and he can't find anything, but then he hears this voice, and the voice says, Jesus is watching you. <laughs> and the guy's like, <laughs> that's kind of spooky. And he's like, who's there? And he doesn't hear anything. And then he hears the voice again. Jesus is watching you. And the guy's like, oh, this is getting kind of freaky. So he finally finds a light switch. And there's a parrot sitting on a stand. And the parrot says, Jesus is watching you. And the guy says, oh, God, I was scared. It's just a parrot. And what's your name anyway? And the parrot says, my name is Moses. And the guy goes, who names a parrot Moses? The same guy who named his pit bull Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, thought, I thought you were going to go with the burglar that got taken down by the old lady. No. You know that one? No. Oh, I thought you were going to the burglar in the old lady. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> There's a lot of burglars in this world. Burglar breaks in. The old lady gets scared. She starts quoting scripture. Right? <laughs> she starts quoting Acts 2.38. Cops come. The burglar is frozen in the corner. And he says to the lady, what'd you do? She said, I, I was just praying. He said, really? And he goes over to the, to the burglar and she say, he says to the burglar, oh, what happened? He said, she was just praying. Why are you standing here? He said, I thought she said she had an axe in 238. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! <laughs> <laughs> you see, there you go. Kids, don't be criminals. It's not good for you. It, no. it, never, it never ends up well. No, it does not end up well. It does not end up well. No. Uh, Michael, thank you for this time, man. Um, Absolutely. I'm gonna reach out. You know, it's just I'm gonna send a plane. It's gonna fly by your head. You'll yeah, see sure. what it is. And uh, remember, we always have the free for all on Friday. Anytime, you know, I'll, dollars to donuts out of the the five to ten guys that come in there. I bet you know half of them. <laughs> That'd be cool. That's very cool. somewhere. Uh, yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. Let me. When you were working with Madonna, was Paul Pesco playing guitar back then? Uh, no, we were. This was all studio stuff. So it was me, Rick Knowles, her. It was like a studio crew, and that was when she was. And Ray of Light was her electronic album. She was calling yeah, herself, yeah. Yeah. She was calling herself Veronica, Veronica Electronica at the time. That's her, her, her sort of studio um, alias. Was that Richard? Um, Rich, uh, Richard Orbit was in there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also um, Rick Knowles. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. That had to be a lot of fun, man. Yeah, and it was cool because, you know, she's another Detroiter. And that kind of got me uh, um, a little bit of... Uh, in in the because i was you know again who's this guy you know um and uh so it helped that i was a homeboy you know hey man you got the blessing on you that's all there is to it you know yeah 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 great thing well i'm proud to know you man and uh we'll uh you know there's some music somewhere down the road absolutely there's always music there yeah. always is uh, be safe and like I said join us any Friday we'll hit you you know with an email from here to there and just yeah. pop on free for all Fridays it's uh, it's you know I mean tomorrow's tomorrow but yeah. hopefully we've got tomorrow? 
we've got <laughs> several uh, Fridays ahead of us. There'll be more Fridays in this calendar, I heard. I heard this, this year is full of Fridays. Take your pick, man. There's one right. every week. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. God bless all of you guys. See you, Susan, and everybody else. Thank you, guys, everybody who puts it together and makes it happen. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll see Oh, what happened? I didn't do that. Bye, Michael. Bye, Michael. Wow. What happened? I don't know. Uh-oh. You no, know, he probably just said goodbye, and who knows, he hit the thing. He hit the thing. Anyway, oh, wow. that was great. Oh, man, I, I could get, you know, that's like, I could still be talking about that. Okay, uh, uh, Bridget says, dollars to donuts. No one says the old things like we said anymore. So, uh, dollars to donuts is... <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by jason's deli with four convenient locations from naples to cape coral florida they are a must try jason's deli where all good things come from wholesome ingredients and bradley's jewelers of south fort myers they specialize in amazing moments bradley's jewelers Stop by and say hello to Brad and Colby. And we'll see you next week right here on the podcast from the No Gloom Ballroom. It's rock and roll show and tell.